All right. So I don't know if you want to do introduce it, Scott. I'll do, I'll do the intro and then. Yeah, you do the intro. Okay. Um, <laughs> hello, everyone. Welcome to the weekly UK Sangha. Anyone's welcome to join. Um, here we have some of our um, good friends here with us. And before I started the call, um, DJ was talking about uh, hindrances arising at work. And so I think we're about to learn some good Dhamma from that. So please go ahead, DJ, with uh, what you were saying. Oh, yeah. So it was pretty cool because, you know, just continuing the practice. And lately I've been kind of, well, starting out focusing like on the fundamentals, right? Just coming back to the breath, gladdening the mind and really working that in. But what's cool is as you do that, the the <laughs> more like you could say, not necessarily advanced, but you know, like Petitu Samapada, you can start to see it a little bit more clearly as well, which is really cool when the mind is in uh, a wholesome state. So like, even if like a hindrance arose, right? You can see it in a very like, not personal way. You can see, okay, it arises, but then you can start to see like, as it sort of traces back, like, oh, well, this this came up, right? And you can see how, like, okay, for example, you know, you um, the fear of death can come up from, like, the most mundane, like, little things sometimes, and you just see it, like, come up, like, just this little bit of fear, but you can kind of, like, trace it back. And then you can see, like, all the way to, like, the habit patterns and stuff as well, right? But it's, like, the little, you just get into the, uh, this is kind of bouncing around, but again, the links all kind of roll together, like, they're, they're, they're all dependently arising, right? But anywho, the, the feelings, like when you tone into the feelings, you can see how the feeling kind of would pull off a little bit and how the mind would kind of like wander and you could see, oh, okay, this is where this is like getting into the fear of like death and all that stuff, right? But then there's like some attachment there. You see the attachment, but I mean, you're even like, not identify again at this you're in a gladden state you're not identified with like any of it when it arises right you're just kind of seeing it as it is you can kind of like it's very quick and so yeah it just sort of traces back but another point that's really cool is like um because when i talked to Domerato before um uh, we talked about sankaras right and like the mental formations but really getting into those and what how those are like kind of like you know the memory system the habitual patterns the conditionings the programmings of the mind right you can see how it's like oh okay there's that kind of like condition that was placed there and again these conditions can get in the way of your your um <laughs> uh serenity your peace or or whatever right you're again you're placing these conditions in front of your happiness right so in a way again you're as you're doing this you're unconditioning you know yourself from a conditional kind of happiness you're like okay i can see that and the thing is because it's like known so it's it's known you see it you're like there's just no point in doing that right you can see like just how it all lines up and just come back to like Okay, this breath is good enough right now, and holy baloney, is it ever good, you know, just to lay down all these burdens, you know? But what's cool, too, is so when you're at work or something, it's like balancing it as well, right? So in terms of, um, what is it? which can be very dynamic in terms of practice as well, but not getting absorbed by anything, right? Like not getting like, okay, you're using this as a tool as you come back, but like not to get like super absorbed into like some kind of um, 
de- like sort of state or whatever, but just sort of like, oh, you're just paying attention to what's going on. Oh, I can enjoy the cleaning. I can enjoy, yeah, so, you know, helping customers and all that all right. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's cool. the talking point. I can jump in right there. Um, so when you said deep state. Yeah. So this is a common misconception of jhana. Practice. Yes. Jhana is not deep. Okay. Dukkha is deep. Mm. Sloth and torpor is deep. Um, jhana is actually an experience of clarity and uh, awakeness and uh, bright lucidity. So um, anything that requires um, it requires like a sort of uh, lucidity of mind to do, you can do in first jhana. Um, and and uh, the the jhanas that come after that aren't deep either. So mm, yes, they're just they're just lightening up from the mental activity. So it's not as if you go into a deep samadhi or something, or a deep state of absorption, and you're and you're deeply. It's like you're in a coma or something. Yeah. That's not what jhana is like. Jhana is like uh, lightening up so much that um, your experience begins to lose the barriers that were creating uh, disturbances in your mind. So as a byproduct of that, your mind gathers together and uh, sort of enjoys the unfoldment of what happens when we don't um, ups- become obsessed with any one of the hindrances? When we're not obsessed with sensual desire? When we're not? When the mind is not obsessed with uh, with craving or aversion? When it's not obsessed with ill will? So it's not obsessed with anyone else? It's not obsessed with the past or the future? Uh, we actually experience a sense of relief and clarity uh, as a result of that. And uh, that relief and clarity is not deep. It's light. It's the opposite of deep. Um, one of the calls I, I uh, had with Amarado um, when I started getting into jhana, and so I was really interested in jhana because it was kind of a new thing for me. Um, it's the, the video is titled Meditation is Not Deep. Yeah. Because I, was, I said, oh, because I got deep or deep in meditation or something. And he's like, hey, he stopped me there. And then he went on a whole rant about how meditation is not deep and how uh, he doesn't yeah. know how this idea ever got into the West. Stuff like that. So um, the point is we can play around with the words um, and we can use uh, more accurate words. It's not that like, um, I don't know what you mean when you say deep jhana. But uh, yeah, well, well I, that. It, it might give uh, it might give a uh, um, a misunderstanding to someone who hasn't experienced it. Uh, go yeah, ahead. No, I was saying that's an excellent pointer. Like everything you said there, because that's kind of what I was hinting at. Because the point is, is not to get into some sort of like super deep state where you are absorbed by something. Because again, that's like fixation and can be a form of attachment, right? right. This is bouncy. This is light. This is something that you can, you know, just uh, ab- abide in a way, apply and sustain return to and it's very practical in a sense if you if you can you know do that and again 
being content with, uh, you know, the first jhana and being like, okay, this is good enough. Right. And again, because the uh, the other ones, you, you can kind of drop, not drop. OK, but you know what I mean? Um, in a sense, well, in, in terms of dropping off some of the um, what is it like the verbal talk and all that stuff. But it can just be for a little bit. What's really cool about that is when you drop off the verbal talk and you just go into like the pure feelings, it gives you like an understanding of it. However, like of what that feels like. But the, however, it's not like, okay, we need to now be in this state for like 30 minutes. Because as soon as you start doing that, you know, you you lose you 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 kind of like lose it when it becomes like a hard and a fast and there's craving involved, right? Um it, like if you were to do that and then you just do it, okay, no problem. But the problem is is when there's that continual craving and lusting after that. But this can actually be a wonderful tool for investigation. You see and feel that, and then as the words come back up or paying attention to like just what's going on, you can still have that feeling, right? You can still kind of have, and it just, it becomes, it's it's very, um, again, just very satisfactory and very useful because it helps you to actually, it, in a weird way, it drops away the the worry of, okay, by, by practicing this, I am somehow not going to be less efficient at what I'm doing. Now the, the productivity or that kind of aspect is more of a byproduct right because the primary thing like the thing is your what benefits i find at least with with this is again to have the compass of dukkha dukkha naroda as soon as it starts becoming about other things in the conditioned world then it's gonna like again it's it it it's, it, it helps to kind of use that like to go all the way because things in the world are fun they're cool you can appreciate them as a rise you don't have to be a complete and total like drag or anything you can have that joy and that's again what domorado is so good at like showing you yeah. know but it but the thing is is like understand return again and again to the the recollection and understanding that everything fades away and nothing in this world is worth clinging to <laughs> so exactly um so beautifully said dj um so you know um uh these kinds of states are can be very fantastic very um enticing very um um um, they can be very enjoyable and you can start to cling to them too. And you can, uh, it's not worth clinging to. So it's not worth it. Like all jhana is impermanent. And um, jhana can be like, uh, um, just like anything else, uh, if you cling on to it and then uh, it's not there anymore, now mm. you're in dukkha. So even if you experience jhana in the past, your conceptualization of what jhana is is not jhana so your remembering of being in jhana is a fabrication that you're creating now um, so it's kind of like if you retell a story each time mm -hmm. you tell a story the story changed a, li a little bit and uh, it actually mentions mentions this directly in the sutta and uh, it's funny dj came uh, uh guns blazing talking about jhana <laughs> that's the exact uh suda that i was going to read today um i was going to read one by one as they occurred the jhana sutta um but i i uh before i get into that is does anyone else have anything they'd like to say or 
um, questions they want to ask before we get into the reading. Nick, any thoughts? First, Jana. I had one, but uh, never mind. What's going on? Okay. Okay. Fair enough. That's good. I'm just uh, th throwing it out there just to see if anyone wants to keep the um, keep the ball rolling here. But uh, um, I think it's good to get into the actual text um, for what these things are talking about. Um, so this is the Majjhimadakaya 111, Anupada Sutta, one by one as they occurred. So this was a teaching uh, given by Sariputta, and he goes through all of the jhanas. And um, jhanas can get very um, esoteric and seem kind of like magical, but they're really not. Um, um, th this one goes through all eight, so um, uh, it could, it's, I think it's a really interesting read. Um, um, to be honest, um, my understanding of the Dhamma um, is that only the first four you really need, um, but we can talk about the formless jhanas as well. And I'll be very honest with um, which ones I've experienced and the ability to experience them, because I think it's good to um, have an open dialogue about these kinds of states instead of having it all be obscure and like hidden away somewhere or only uh, some people on um, Reddit or something talking about them that actually don't know what they're talking about. So uh, here we go. Thus have I heard on one occasion the Blessed One was living at Savati in Jetta's Grove, Anatapindika's Park. He addressed the bhikkhus thus, bhikkhus. Venerable Sir, they replied, the Blessed One said this, bhikkhus, Sariputta is wise. Sariputta has great wisdom. Sariputta has wise, wide wisdom. Sariputta has keen uh, sorry, has quick wisdom. Sariputta has keen wisdom. Sariputta has penetrative wisdom. During half a month, bhikkhus, Sariputta had insight into states one by one as they occurred. Now Sariputta's insight into states one by one as they occurred was this. Here bhikkhus, Quite secluded from sensual pleasures, secluded from unwholesome states, Sariputta entered upon and abided in the first jhana, which is accompanied by applied and sustained thought. With rapture and pleasure born of seclusion. All right, so that's first jhana. Um, this is repeated a lot in the suttas. And Nick, I, I muted you just because there's there's some background noise. But if you want to say something, just go ahead and unmute yourself when you have something to say. Um, um, so the, uh, let's take some of the very important key words here. Quite secluded from sensual pleasures, secluded from unwholesome states. Entered upon and abided in the first jhana, which is accompanied by applied and sustained thought. Okay, so seclusion. 
it um, there is physical seclusion, but then there is also mental seclusion. Are there other people living rent free in your mind right now? That would be the opposite of seclusion. So all of these things, uh, these uh, company that we allow into our house um, causes a disturbance and they're uh, it's kind of like um, throwing a party um, that you didn't want to have and everyone's knocking stuff over and causing problems in your own mind. So this is what happens when the mind wanders off into um, obsessive territory when we think about the past and the future and when we think about things that are not necessary to think about aka mental proliferation so there's thinking that is useful there's thinking that is practical and there's thinking that is wholesome and then all the rest of the thinking it just causes problems and uh, uh developing the skill of jhana is just learning how to discern the two and becoming uh uh, better at better at getting rid of those thoughts that are unnecessary and unwholesome so that we can uh, appreciate and abide in the fruits of first jhana. And the states in the first jhana, the applied thought, the sustained thought, the rapture, the pleasure, and the unification of mind, the contact, feeling, perception, volition, and mind, the zeal, decision, energy, mindfulness, equanimity, and attention. These states were defined by him one by one as they occurred. Known to him, these states arose. Known they were present. Known they disappeared. He understood thus. So indeed, these states not having been come into being. Having been, they vanish. Regarding those states, he abided unattracted, unrepelled independent, detached, free, disassociated, dissociated. With a mind rid of barriers, he understood there is an escape beyond. And with the cultivation of that attainment, he confirmed that there is. All right, so there's actually a lot of different things that come into play uh, with first jhana. So there's a lot of different um, factors and aspects that come together to produce the experience of first jhana. But um, as it mentions here, first jhana is not the end goal. It's, uh, it's an aspect of correct practice. It, is, uh, it comes from being satisfied and practicing good, but it's not something it um it's not something to attach yourself to and also uh, another aspect of first jhana is it comes with a lot of zeal so i really like the word zeal um zeal just means like uh you could say it means enthusiasm interest energizing uh joy rapture would be joy um you know a lot of christians are you know they're still waiting for the rapture when will it come here it is. So rapture is uh, an aspect of practicing the, the teachings of the Buddha. And uh, rapture is to be found here and now.
Um, so that's the good news. Okay, you don't have to wait for Jesus to save you. You don't have to wait for anyone to come and do it for you. You can do it yourself. You can score the touchdown right now. <laughs> exactly, scoring the cosmic <laughs> touchdown. And another thing I want to highlight here. Um, he understood thus. So indeed, these states not having been come into being, having uh, having been, they vanish. Okay, so this is talking about insight. It's not um, separating it explicitly here in the scripture. It does not separate jhana and vipassana or insight. It's talking about it happening at the same time. So while this state of jhana arises, there is the contemplation of anicca in that entire experience. So there's the contemplation of things arising and passing away. Um, in fact, I would go as far to say as if you're not in first jhana, you can't do vipassana, and it don't and it won't work. Um, so these things go hand in hand; um, they're not separate. And this is back to the original suttas of what the Buddha actually taught. And um, let me tell you, I knew about jhana and I tried to practice um, vipassana. I tried to practice jhana before I came upon uh, the teachings of Dhammarado and the original suttas and stuff. And everything I had learned had either come from like Mahayana or the commentaries or stuff. And none of it worked. All of it was just mental proliferation. So uh, I can tell from direct experience, uh, this is how it works. So you, you rid the mind of the hindrances. Uh, you, you practice correctly. You apply and sustain that wholesome until, you're in, until everything is wholesome. And then there's going to be the experience of joy that arises and the experience of sukha and the experience of energy. So uh, this sort of relief that comes with a sense of rapture and uh, when that relief comes with a sense of rapture, uh, you don't make a big deal out of it. You see it for what it is. Oh, these these are uh, sensations and phenomena just arising and passing away. Um, and uh, you are just even more uh, equanimous to it, even more, okay, it's cool, first jhana, whatever, been there, done that. Um, he abided unattracted, unrepelled, independent, detached, free, dissociated. So uh, these are all uh, hints how to stay in it and how to uh, continue on to other jhanas as well. So uh, uh, to make to make jhana, a, yeah, go, do you have a question? Go for it. Uh, I think you're on mute, Aaron. Your mic's not on. I think um, if your earphones are plugged in, you have to change the audio to the earphones or something like that in the settings. Or you have to take them out to like speak into it. Maybe just unplug your earphones. That's a beautiful view. <laughs> I still can't hear you though. 
All right, so while um, Aaron figures out his um, his mic situation, I'm just going to continue. But Aaron, please, as soon as you figure it out, um, feel free to interrupt and uh, ask your question. Here we go. And again, there's an escape beyond. So um, um, I asked. I asked Domerado about this because um, Domerado usually teaches uh, first jhana is enough, first jhana is satisfying. But here at the end of first jhana um, paragraph, it explicitly says he understood there is an escape beyond. And with the cultivation of that attainment, he confirmed that there is. So I asked John, I asked Domerado, what does this mean? And he said it's like uh, seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. So you keep walking towards the light. The light is the same. So first jhana would be the light. <laughs> and you see it far away in the distance and you realize, oh, um, I'm going to keep moving towards that because it's wholesome and good. Um, so there's an escape beyond. The, just you walked, you keep continuing. You continue towards it. Um, so that's kind of a poetic way to understand that. Again, bhikkhus, with the stilling of applied and sustained thought, Sariputta entered and abided in the second jhana, which has self-confidence and singleness of mind without applied and sustained thought, with rapture and pleasure born of unification. Okay, so second jhana. Essentially, um, the applied and sustained wholesome thought stills down and uh, there continues on the wholesome feelings. So an analogy that you can think of this is like getting a car rolling um, from a standstill. Uh, let's say your battery died and you drive a manual. Um, at first it takes the applied and sustained pushing of that car to get it rolling. But once it starts rolling, you're like, oh, okay, I know the car has enough momentum, it's rolling enough that uh, I can stop the applied and sustained push, thinking uh, the wholesome thoughts. And then I can just hop in the, hop in the front seat and ride it out. Um, that would be uh, second jhana. And uh, it comes with a lot of self-confidence of, oh, yeah, I really got this thing. This... This is working. So whatever I've been doing, all this meditation or whatever, all this uh, YouTube videos I've been watching, all this stuff I've been reading, finally, now this is it. <laughs> uh, it's doing something. Um, the meditation is working. Um, fruit. Uh, I'm tasting the fruit of all this stuff. Um, so there's that confidence that comes with it. And with that confidence, uh, it just uh, increases the, the vibes, uh, so to speak, even more. Um, Another um, pointer I like to use for uh, second jhana that um, that I think might be a little bit more relatable, that it's not something weird or esoteric. This is something that uh, everyone's experienced at one point for however little, um, is when you're listening to a song you really enjoy, uh, a really good song, and there's a part where a lyric really strikes a chord with you. And, the, and you hear that lyric and then the instruments play. And for a moment there, your mind goes blank 
and all you experience is a flood of goosebumps and tingles and pleasure and joy and your mind is just totally enamored with the music and the something about the lyrics just really struck a chord and you stopped thinking for a moment there and you just experienced the joy and relief of that song the beat drop or whatever it is um that would be second jhana uh i got a few songs where i just played them and I'm like all right second jhana here we come <laughs> and i'm like ready for it and then I just ride that thing right into it. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So the example here would the lyrics would be the applied and sustained thought. So you're staying with the music. So you're listening to the song. You're not going. You're not distracting yourself. You're applying and sustaining the attention on the lyrics. And uh, hopefully the lyrics are wholesome um, for the purposes of jhana. I mean, if you're listening to emo music, you're going to be. Um, <laughs> Not going into jhana for sure. Okay, you're going to be uh, throwing a pity party. But uh, let's say you're listening to a wholesome, upbeat song. You're following the lyrics. Uh, you don't let the mind wander anywhere else. The feelings start to develop. The wholesome feelings start to rise. Um, and then uh, at a certain point, everything just breaks through. And wow, this this is amazing. This is a such a rush. Um, but you can actually do this. Uh, develop the skill to do this without the music. Um, I'm just saying um, mm -hmm. this is sort of like a pointer to what it's kind of like to experience these states. Um, oh, can I pop in for a yeah. moment there? Yes, um, just in terms of the, the music thing. Yeah, I think it's helpful actually to do a bit of like um, both. Like, so going into like seclusion where you sit down and you don't really have any like active sort of sense pleasures to know hey you know what i can get into this state without any like with very minimal right but then also so you don't get even attached to the seclusion sometimes it's nice to just listen to a song and have the wholesome lyrics come in and what's cool is if you go into seclusion the lyrics can come up almost like a mantra singing in one's mind and yeah. then the gaps come and then you know you just experience the feeling like you said and it's yeah. it's beautiful but yeah very good point yeah, so um, even something that is said during a sangha call, something uh, Dom Rado said to you, something that sparks joy, um, you may recall it. It may uh, come back into your mind when you're just going about your business during your day. And this, and this recalling, this remembering uh, of something wholesome is really sati. So that's the aspect of remembering the Dhamma. Even if you're recalling something that was said, Something that something that made sense to you, something that resonated, and it sparks that wholesome feeling. Um, mm -hmm. it, it brings you back. You remember, even even after the call is over, even after you go about your business and you forget the dhamma. So the dhamma, um, when practiced correctly, comes back like a bad habit, and it <laughs> keeps coming back, and it keeps coming back, and it kind of infects your mind. So. Um, that's an aspect of stream entry is um, you, you find great joy in the Dhamma. You, this is, it becomes, it becomes like one of the only things you really care about. So you come back to it again and again in your mind. And uh, the results um, speak for themselves and the results just keep going. And then if, let's say, uh, let's say you're kind of fed up with the Dhamma, you don't want to think about it. Well, then you can not think about it for a while. That's fine too. Um, 
if it if it doesn't inspire joy, if it doesn't uh, create serenity, if it doesn't bring relief, that wasn't the dominant anyways. That was mental proliferation. So you can kind of rule that out if you think the practice isn't working or something like that. Just I don't give it a break, give it a rest. <laughs> uh, yeah. Even stopping the drama is the dharma. Even what? Stopping the dharma is the dharma. Yeah. Stop thinking. That's like uh, closer to second drama. Yeah, so um, again, remember the mission, Dukkha, Dukkha, Niroda. So we're not trying to confuse ourselves or add more rules or add more burdens to our minds or uh, create some kind of rules that we're supposed to be following that when we don't, when we inevitably fail at those rules, uh, we punish ourselves even more. So punishing yourself for, oh, you were thinking about the past or um, you're, you're, you got mad at somebody, you punish yourself even more that's just missing the point um so remember not to punish yourself and not to make rules for yourself and to take take it as it comes and take it easy um and the more you take it easy on yourself and the more uh freedom you give yourself to be to fuck up um the less you will fuck up so the less you're going to care and the more detached you're going to be and the more wholesome feelings you're going to experience, and then uh, wisdom arises as a byproduct of that. So um, don't don't be strict and harsh on yourself. Be uh, forgiving. Be forgiving to yourself as um, as you should be forgiving to other people too. Be patient and forgiving to yourself, just as much as you are to other people. And I think you should train both both aspects. So internal forgiveness and external forgiveness because they go hand in hand and uh if if you uh are resenting yourself chances are it's going to manifest externally and start resenting other people like you can see this in uh in uh parent children relationships all the time some aspect of um the parent that they really don't like about themselves shows it shows shows in the child and so they come, they they bring the hammer down hard on them because they hate that about themselves and they see the same thing in their child. So this is the same, uh, this is the same logic with that uh, uh, forgiveness. Um, okay, so- You could even drop the boundary between uh, forgiveness of others and yourself and just forgiveness. You can make that just uh, the new way of working. Yeah, exactly. So again, um, the simple, the better. So the more simple you can understand things, the more simple you can apply and sustain the practice, the better. Um, things do not need to be more complicated than they need to be. Um, I, so I often think about um, a wholesome thought that gladdens my mind. I often think about how um, a guy who is kind of stupid came to the Buddha and so the buddha gave him a rock and a cloth and he <laughs> and he said uh here polish this rock and as i and say as uh practice thus as i polish this rock i purify my mind <laughs> so he polished that rock he polished that rock to his own enlightenment as the stories tell so sometimes you got to stop thinking about jhanas. You got to stop thinking about dependent origination and just polish polish your rock in your mind. 
Okay, just breathe. Okay, simple. <laughs> Better. Um, satisfaction. Okay, everything's okay. Everything's fine. Whatever it takes to get yourself uh, satisfied and uh, secluded from unwholesome states. Um, okay. All right, so continuing on with uh, second jhana. And these states in the second jhana, the self-confidence, the rapture, the pleasure, and the unification of mind, the contact, feeling, perception, volition, and mind, the zeal, decision, energy, mindfulness, equanimity, and attention. These states were defined by him one by one as they occurred. Known to him, these states arose. Known they were present. Known they disappeared. He understood thus. Um, there's escape beyond ellipses. And with the cultivation of that attainment, he confirmed that there is. Okay, so um, there's a lot of things that's adding in here um, that's involved with uh, the clarity of your mind. So uh, when you are actually in jhana and then there is a clarity of mind, the mind is fit for work, so to speak. So you can actually see all the little um, mental formation, mental impressions, um, and uh, uh, little little self things that arise in your visceral experience uh, with a greater detail and clarity. So um, your perception, so you can see the mind interpreting the experience of jhana, volition, so you can see the intentions. So there's an attention, intentions arising every moment. Before I raise my hand, there is the intention to raise my hand. So raising my hand is one thing, but that 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 intention to do it is a different thing. That is a mental formation that you can become um, uh, more acutely aware of. And same with the attention. So how where is the attention placed? Uh, what is the attention on? And um, if you're in second jhana, the attention attention would be on the the pleasure and rapture, and also all of this other stuff I'm talking about, um, one by one as they occur. So uh, the idea is things happen one by one. But uh, uh, when when we are out of jhana or when we are unmindful, a lot of things are happening and we didn't notice. Um, them one by one because we weren't paying attention. So uh, when the mind is clear, you notice uh, states and intentions, volition, energy, equanimity, uh, rapture, the pleasure, the unification of mind, all of these things happening one by one as they occur. Known to him, they arose and then known they vanished. So all these things are arising and passing away. So jhana flowers as an experience, and then it wilts away and it dies just like everything else. So it blooms and then it, it, it subsides. Um, and uh, there's no uh, attachment to that whole process. It's just kind of like, oh, cool, look at that. Look at it, look at it go. And... Uh, um, that's uh, how you kind of stay in a wholesome state and uh, stabilize it. Again, because with the fading away as well of rapture, 
Sariputta abided in equanimity and mindful, fully aware, stilling, still feeling pleasure with the body. He entered upon and abided in third jhana, on account of which noble ones announce he has a pleasant abiding who has equanimity and is mindful. All right, so um, when you enter third jhana, there will be an, an announcement. Uh, someone will walk through the door and said, say uh, he has a pleasant abiding. <laughs> um, no, but um, yeah, so there is the knowledge um, that you're distinctly in a different um, state of mind. So uh, with each of the... Uh, with each um, subsequent jhana, um, there is uh, the knowledge that this is third jhana, or this is second jhana, or this is first jhana. And uh, um, this is kind of uh, a maturation of the practice, whereas um, in the beginning, you're just wanting to be thinking about, am I in a wholesome state or not? And that's the most important thing is getting in a wholesome state. So that's what you practice. Um, once you are in a wholesome state and you can kind of stay in a wholesome state and you can return and return to a wholesome state, well, you can look around and see what's going on now. How, what, how do these wholesome states operate? And what are the different aspects of the wholesome states? So what are the qualities? And like, if I focus on the comfort of body and I sort of calm down all the, all the uplifted joy that got me into first jhana, um, that becomes tiring at a certain point, too. So um, even if you are experiencing a lot of joy, you get really giddy, get really happy at a certain point. OK, like I just want to relax more now. So you kind of let that fall away and you bring the attention more to the tranquility of your body, the sukha, the comfort. So um, sukha is like what it feels like to um, just be totally relaxed. So there's no tension in your body at all. There's just complete relaxation and repose and stillness. Um, if you sink into a hot tub and you get in the hot tub and you go, ah, and you sort of let go any tension that you're holding in your body, that is sukha. And you can practice um, consciously relaxing tensions in the body as they arise. So I think uh, in order to um, in order to practice jhana, in order to become skilled in jhana, you have to be um, relaxing um, the the tensions that arise in the mind as well as the body. So um, the mind starts to become obsessed with something. It starts to get hung up on something. You have to let that go and uh, replace it with something wholesome or um, just stop thinking about that. Um, so that is the mental tensions. Um, and they go hand in hand with the bodily tensions. So you realize uh, you're a little bit jittery, um, maybe you should walk. Or there's some tension in your back. Oh, let me, let me stretch it out, let me roll out. You know, it's not, um, you don't have to sit down and be determined not to move and just suffer more and more mentally and physically. That's missing the entire point of jhana. So uh, jhana is about getting yourself into a unified, a comfortable, a satisfying, and a wholesome state of mind. So do what you need to do. If you need to stretch out your legs, if you need to roll your neck around, 
if you need a walk, if if there's too much too much restlessness, sometimes better uh, to do walking meditation. Um, there's no reason you can't enter jhana while walking. Um, also, it's good for your health. You know, I think people should walk more in general. Um, uh, walking is just good. And if there's no questions, I'll uh, keep going. And uh, the states in the third jhana, the equanimity, the pleasure, the mindfulness, the full awareness, and the unification of mind, the contact, feeling, perception, volition, and mind, the zeal, decision, energy, mindfulness, equanimity, and attention. These states were defined by him one by one as they occurred. Known to him, those states arose. Known they were present. Known they disappeared. He understood thus, there is an escape beyond this. And with the cultivation of that attainment, he confirmed that there is. Oh, and uh, Aaron, if you want, if your mic wasn't working and you want to ask your question, you can type it in the chat and I can respond to it there. So it's up to you. Um, if you just, if you type a question in the chat, um, I could respond to it as well. Again, because with the abandoning of pleasure and pain and with the previous disappearance of joy and grief, Sariputta entered upon and abided in the fourth jhana, which has neither pleasure nor pain and purity of mindfulness due to equanimity. Okay, so this is uh, equanimity. So equanimity happens uh, through the subsiding of the all the pleasure and all the sukha. So that becomes um, not interesting anymore and you just become content, uh, uh, just absolutely content to the point that there's no feelings anymore. There's no pain or pleasure. And so there is a, a sublime clarity to that experience. Um, equanimity is just the absolute state of mind that is completely undisturbed, unagitated by anything, even pleasure. So, um, but there's no pain. So uh, it's not the same as apathy or boredom. A lot of people mistake equanimity to be a state of boredom or a state of dullness, um, which it's, uh, uh, the opposite of that. It's neither of those things. So if you're experiencing any sensation that is unpleasant, you're not in jhana, you're not in fourth jhana. Um, there's a kind of uh, very enjoyable um, sort of objectivity to it. So there's like uh, the bias of liking and disliking is gone there. So we, we don't have any more um, any biases of wanting this or not wanting that in fourth jhana. There is just complete clarity of mind and uh, unification. And um, that would be true equanimity.
And uh, when you are, are in equanimity, um, the things I was talking about earlier, earlier, like seeing the formations of our mind and the processes of selfing, uh, you can see that with uh, uh, a, a profound amount of clarity. So you can really see, oh, this little thing that's uh, that's developing and and uh, has intention and uh, feels like a located entity, a separate uh, real being that continues moment for moment. Oh, that's actually a impermanent thing that's arising and passing away. It's a little wispy sensation that uh, now that I don't have any uh, craving or aversion in the way, I can see that's clearly just a phenomena, just like anything else that's appearing and disappearing. So it's not me. Uh, the process of my mind is just a natural uh, uh, process, uh, just as the wind blowing through the leaves or the uh, clouds passing through the sky. So there's a sublime gazing a sublime gazing at the totality of our experience without any personal identification with it. Um, a lot of other practices sort of point towards this state and try to, and this is kind of like the the ultimate state for them in a way. Um, Dzogchen kind of talks about, um, they try to point to fourth jhana a lot in like Dzogchen type of practices and uh, some tantric practices as well. Um, and then some tantric practices or some mystical practices uh, are oftentimes talking about uh, the formless jhanas. So I'll get into the formless jhanas. Um, but a lot of um, even some of the formless jhanas are taken to be um, the ultimate awakening uh, for some traditions. So for a lot of non-dual traditions, um, such as uh, they, they, they go back all the way to Hindu times. Um, they've managed to enter into um, formless jhanas. So states of uh, becoming one with everything. And uh, things to that extent, these are states of mind that arise and pass away. But then they'll experience that state of mind. They'll become attached to it. And then they'll create a religion out of it. And... Uh, <laughs> A lot of religions are created by some guy's mystical experience or something like that. So they're just re remembering something instead of living it, instead of knowing uh, what's really going on here, seeing things as they really are. And uh, they create a dogma or a religion out of something they experienced. Um, but here in the Dhamma, we just see things. Oh, yeah, that's that's just a jhana. That's just one of the jhanas. And they're done that not worth clinging to. Uh, again, because with the complete surmounting of perceptions of form. Okay, let me see if I left off at the, oh yeah. Okay, again, because with the complete surmounting of the perceptions of form, with the disappearance of perceptions of sensory impact, with non-attention to perceptions of diversity, aware that space is boundless, Sariputta entered upon and abided in the base of boundless space. In the text, it says infinite, but uh, infinite, uh, I don't think is a good translation. So I replaced it with uh, boundless. So this is a boundary dissolving experience. 
Um, so I'm sure people who um, get into psychedelics a lot or um, stuff like that may have stumbled into boundary dissolving experiences. But the point is uh, when you cross the thresholds into um, boundless jhana, uh, the here and there spatial mechanisms start to dissolve. So that this is me and that is not me. The I'm located here and that stuff is over there. Uh, you start to just uh, perceive it all as mind. So um, a lot of scientists will say our experience of reality is 100% a mental experience. So the experience of that chair over there is not the chair over there. It is just, uh, it's all a fabrication of mind. Uh, the entire experience of the three-dimensional room and the sitting over here. Um, so uh, you can have a dream where the whole world is within mind and the, the mind dreams up the world as well as the person in it and perceives it from the point of view of that person it dreamed up. But uh, the world itself, the, lo the distance, the locations, the space, it's all a product of the mind's uh, creation. So um, these sorts of um, illusions of separation uh, can dissolve in these states of mind. Um, but that's not the ultimate enlightenment. The point here is just the end of suffering. So dukkha, dukkha, nirodha. But these are uh, states um, that can happen, um, especially if, um, I don't know, you, you may stumble in it through a psychedelic experience or something like that, or maybe you're practicing, practicing Dzogchen and you had some kind of breakthrough experience or um, you were just contemplating non-duality and uh, you're listening to a lot of non-dual stuff and maybe you had this experience. Um, but these experiences happen to people all the time and it's totally possible. Uh, but uh, again, I, I'm going to reread that part um, which is pretty important. Um, again, because with the complete surmounting of perceptions of form, with the disappearance of perception of sensory impact, with non-attention to perceptions of diversity. So uh, non-attention to perceptions of diversity, that's very interesting. So you're, you're stopping, uh, you're stopping diversifying your experience. So you're stopping labeling, labeling, giving name and form to things. This is this and that is that. You're kind of just sitting back and gazing at the totality of it without drawing boundaries or making differentiations within your experience. You're not saying, oh, this is where my skin ends and where the chair begins. There's just sort of the uh, formless and nebulous experience of sensations uh, arising and passing away, as well as uh, all of the other sense bases. So even um, the vision of the room, the tactile sensations, the sounds, uh, the smells and the odors, these are all like, these don't have the location that you think they have. So the mind experiences these sensations and then does an extra calculation or extra interpretation of these sensations 
and um, assigns a location to them. They say, oh, this sound is coming from over there, but really sound is just arising. Or this, um, uh, that wall over there is over there, but really that wall over there is here. It's here in the mind. Um, so that's the idea here. The boundaries are beginning to dissolve uh, when you're in this uh, really um, objective state. So where you're not clinging on to anything in your experience or you're not averse to anything. So uh, you're, even the pleasure and the rapture, you're not you're not uh, amazed by it anymore. Um, here, let me check the chat. Does it sound like he's describing the first five? Um, so the five aggregates are just like the composition of uh, our experience and where dukkha can arise. But um, um, I, I don't think thinking about the five aggregates is necessary for um, when you're thinking about jhana. Um, uh, it's 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 just more necessary to um, look at what is arising here and now in your experience one by one as they occur. So, so chances are the reason why I say that chances are is because you're like, hmm, which aggregate does this fall under? You're not paying attention to the actual sensation or the actual experience, but your experience is only comprised of so many senses. So there's all these senses and the mind and the mind objects. So if you're paying attention to the immediate experience, um, and is it wholesome? So if it's not wholesome, the only thing here to do is get it, get that thing wholesome. Um, get back on the wholesome train of applied and sustained thought. Get yourself back into a wholesome state until, um, well, I'm really, I'm really riding the train. I bought my ticket and now I can uh, investigate and take a look here and play around with uh, different levels and skills of the practice. And uh, again, um, these things are nothing to crave to. I do not claim to be able to enter formless jhanas at will. Um, I have developed the ability to um, navigate uh, the first four jhanas, and I have experienced some formless jhanas, but uh, again, first jhana is enough. So these are toys to play with. And some people never experience boundless jhanas, um, but they're there. And uh, if you do experience them, it's good to know that it's a thing, so you don't become attached to that too. And you say, okay, this is just another experience. Um, and the states in the base of boundless space, the perceptions of the base of boundless space and the unification of mind, the contact, feeling, perception, volition, and mind, the zeal, decision, energy, mindfulness, equanimity, and attention. These states were defined by him one by one as they occurred. Known to him, these states arose. Known they were present. Known they disappeared. He understood thus. And with the cultivation of that attainment, he confirmed that there is an escape beyond this. It just skips the part, that part. Again, because by completely surmounting the base of boundless space, aware that consciousness is boundless, Sariputta entered upon and abided. And all right, see you, Nick. Good to have you, man. Take care, buddy. Cheers. All right. <laughs> 
Um, all right, so after after that is uh, boundless consciousness. Um, and uh, I had an experience a long time ago. Again, my recalling of the experience isn't the experience itself, but um, at the time I was practicing, I was practicing uh, Advaita, so a non-dual tradition. And um, um, one of the main pointers is about the nature of consciousness being boundless or consciousness not having any boundaries. So the experience of awareness or the experience of I am, um, it's not in anything. It's not in a body. It's not in a thought. It's not in a, any any one of your uh, tactile sensations. It's not in the room. And um, I was uh, I had taken uh, an LSD gummy. So and I was walking around and I was the trip was going really good, and I was in a very wholesome state. So um, I was already in even though I wouldn't conceptualize jhana at that time. I was just in a wholesome state. For whatever reason, the stars aligned. I was in a very wholesome state. The trip was going good. It was a beautiful day, and I was just walking around. And there was a lot of wholesome feelings involved with that. And then I sat down at, on a park bench, or it was at a bench at the university I was attending at the time, actually. Um, it, was a, it was a weekend, so nobody was there. But uh, I sat down on the bench, and uh, I just closed my eyes and um, uh, I was listening to a Shiva mantra because I was really um, into the kind of Hindu aspects of things. And when I looked up what like Shiva actually represents is like Shiva is actually a symbol for boundless consciousness. And uh, as I was listening to this mantra, um, uh, my body dissolved like a sugar cube in water and I experienced consciousness to be boundless. And wow, I thought that was so amazing. And uh, <laughs> but it's just one of the jhanas here. So like again, uh, you can stumble into these kinds of experiences, and uh, it's also possible to um, cultivate them yourselves. But um, um, I ended up uh, after having that experience for a long time. I would, in my mind, craving for that experience wanting it again oh what can i do how can i muster that experience to happen again and i'm like wow that was like a once in a lifetime thing and like uh so i would mentally proliferate about it and uh cause myself suffering even though it was like a really good experience um i can and even there's some identification with that so i'd be like oh i'm so spiritual i'm so spiritual now i had that experience uh a lot of people the first time uh, they'll have something like this. They want to go around telling everybody about it and converting everyone and they'll <laughs> have conceit in it and stuff like that. So you can see all kinds of hindrances uh, that can arise. So like the Buddha is saying, this is just that category of things. Don't attach to it. It's just an experience. It arises and passes away. You don't have to have some kind of weird manic episode and tell everyone you're God or something like that or like go around telling, you know, um, I knew someone who was convinced he was Jesus Christ for a couple of weeks. Um, he had like, <laughs> he had an experience or whatever, and he, he was like absolutely convinced. He's like, I'm Jesus Christ. So uh, um, I think it's good to keep your wits about you. Um, 
the the path can get um, strange. I'm sorry, there's some noise. The path can get strange, but uh, and it can get um, mystical or whatever. Um, but uh, do not become attached to that and do not be fooled by it. It's just an illusory experience that is arising and passing away. And uh, I'm going to continue, but uh, one second, let me go uh, uh, try to see if I can get the noise to stop. And then um, do you guys hear that it, coming through in my camera? A little bit. It's rather beautiful, really, just to... Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll be right back, but please feel free to talk among... I enjoy a little white noise here and there when it arises. <laughs> but yeah, if anybody felt like bringing anything up or what have you, that's cool. Or not, that's also cool. This is cool. Just chilling. That's it. All right, guys. Um, is there any uh, questions before I continue or things, uh, comments, questions, comments? I have a quick question. Uh, would you say that going um, up in the jhanas is like going backwards in the 12 links? Um, so the jhanas are uh, a process of removal of things, not the gaining of things. So, um, uh, the, uh, um, the ignorance is gone, I would say, when you are um, practicing jhana, but there's different, um, it's kind of, complicated like there's different levels of ignorance so there's like um there's there's ignorance that keeps us from being in first jhana and then there is uh there is like a more subtle ignorance that keeps us from being in second jhana and a more subtle ignorance so the jhana is kind of like a process of removing things not adding things so First jhana, you remove the hindrances, so you're in a wholesome state. Um, second jhana, you remove the thinking, so you're just in a more, um, even pro more profoundly relaxed state of just wholesome feelings. And then you remove the joy, so now you're just experiencing comfort. And the joy is, um, uh, the comfort is removed, so equanimity. And the form is removed, so the boundaries are removed. Um, and so on, all the way to um, uh, nibbana or uh, extinguishment. So the extinguishment of uh, any craving or the sense of being uh, individual uh, self that's permanent and continuous, uh, 
there is still so you can be in first jhana and still be thinking about or thinking and feeling about how i am uh independent and continuous self um so again there's different uh levels of ignorance and it just has to do with the process of insight so um um the 12 links of uh dependent origination is the process by which um, um, things develop into dukkha. Um, but we're not really concerned with all the links of dependent origination as we are with just uh, getting rid of the dukkha. Um, so uh, throwing out the dukkha, uh, we, we can uh, experience jhana and we can just see how the mind works and stuff like that. Um, and then, uh, uh, you can go in the reverse order um, of seeing how dukkha arises after you've thrown it out. And that would be insight into the 12 links of dependent origination. So once dukkha is thrown out and you keep throwing things out until you uh, have nothing left, and uh, that would be the, the, the realization of nibbana when, when you just got rid of everything until there's nothing left, um, so your load is completely lightened to the maximum extent. So there's nothing beyond that. Um, then when things restart back up again, you can see um, the dependent origination of things starting back up again. And you can see how dukkha arises. And um, even and then after this uh, experience of Nibbana, um, you can say been there, done that to that too. Because I talk about, I heard Damarado talking about, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, even enlightenment, you can like make something out of it. Yeah. Cling on to it. Oh, no, been there, done that. Don't need enlightenment anymore. I mean, that was, it was cool. It was cool when I was there, but I got it. Now I can just uh, chill, chill here, here right now. <laughs> That's the point. That's the only point. It's, it's, it's freaking crazy how um, distracted the mind can get um, from the point here is to be satisfied right here, right now, because this is it. You're not um, satisfaction is never going to come in the future, and if it's in the past, it's gone. <laughs> so <laughs> just let it go. Um, um, okay. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Okay. Cool. Okay. So he get gets into um, boundless consciousness, and then uh, uh, nothingness, and then. Um, uh, neither perception nor non-perception. I like that one. So neither perception nor non-perception. So um, uh, I don't know exactly what that means, but uh, I'm sure maybe Dhammarada will know. I know there's other Buddhist practitioners who will um, claim to know what that means and will tell you what it means. And I'm sure maybe they have experienced that they would um, categorize as neither perception nor non-perception. But um, it kind of, it seems a little bit tricky there to have an experience that is neither perception nor non-perception. Um, but I think uh, that sounds kind of like a koan, right? really to me is what it sounds like. So it's like kind of like a paradoxical thing. Um, you can experience things that can't be explained with conventional language. So I think that's what it's trying to point to here with neither perception nor non-perception. 
So, um, but even that, it says, is not uh, Nibbana. So, after neither perception nor non-perception, he emerged from that attainment. Having done so, he contemplated the past states, which had ceased and changed. Thus, so indeed, these states not having been come into being. Having been, they vanish. Regarding those states, he abided unattracted, unrepelled, independent, detached, free, dissociated, with a mind rid of barriers. He understood there is an escape beyond, and with the cultivation of that attainment, he confirmed that there is. Again, bhikkhus, by completely surmounting the base of neither perception nor non-perception, Sariputta entered upon and abided in the cessation of perception and feeling, and his taints were destroyed by his seeing with wisdom. He emerged mindful from that attainment. Having done so, he recalled the past states, which had ceased and changed. Thus, so indeed, these states not having been come into being, having been, they vanished. Regarding those states, he abided unattracted, unrepelled, independent, detached, free, dissociated, with a mind rid of barriers. He understood there is an escape beyond. Bhikkhus, rightly speaking, were it to be said of anyone, he has attained mastery and perfection and noble virtue, attained mastery and perfection and noble concentration, attained mastery and perfection and noble wisdom, attained mastery and perfection and noble deliverance. It is of Sariputta, indeed, that rightly speaking, this should be said. Bhikkhus, rightly speaking, were it to be said of anyone, he is the son of the Blessed One, born of his breast, born of his mouth, born of the Dhamma, created by the Dhamma, an heir to the Dhamma, not an heir in material things. It is of Sariputta, indeed, that rightly speaking, this should be said. Bhikkhus. The matchless wheel of the Dhamma set rolling by the Tathagata is kept rolling rightly by Sariputta. This is what the Blessed One said. The bhikkhus were satisfied and delighted in the Blessed One's words. Okay, so um, this is something that really struck me about the teachings of the Buddha, even in the original doctrine, um, is that it's not the Buddha, it's not a one-man show here. So um, his dis, uh, one of his students fully became his own Buddha and fully realized the Dhamma to the complete full extent that the Buddha himself has. So it's a come and see for yourself teaching. And I think that's very profound. So this is attainable by anyone who practices the Dhamma correctly to its complete fruition. Um, it's not... Uh, it's not uh, it's not like another religion where, oh, that guy is special and we're not worthy, okay? And then so we can only hope to like try to be like them. No, you can fully master the full thing um, for yourself, um, which is very cool. Um, and uh, again, all the the wisdom comes from seeing all these things are impermanent and again, not worth clinging to and uh, um, that just that just manifests in more and more uh, sublime states. So the less you cling to the sublime states that happen, 
um, the better they get, kind of, or the the more nuanced or uh, subtle they get, and and um, you can um, sort of not um, be pooped out of it um, if you don't attach yourselves to these things. Okay, um, you don't want to scare away the good thing that's come. <laughs> you don't want to like, you don't want to get too clingy. <laughs> I mean, you can see this in anything, right? You can see it in uh, friendships. You can see it in relationships. You can see it in anything else like that. You cling on to something. You um, you 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 try to grasp onto it as a source for happiness, and it never works. So anything that we grasp onto, anything that we mentally think in our mind oh, this is going to do it for me. This is going to satisfy me. If I just get this, if if I just manage to get this, um, this attainment, or if I just manage to get this um, promotion, or this car, or this amount of money, or this um, talent, or this status, or this anything, or this jhana, or this, or this uh, wisdom, or this nibbana, or this or this um, end of suffering, um, then I'll be permanently satisfied. That is the root dis- delusion that causes all this dissatisfaction. So the idea that anything is permanent or that anything is going to permanently satisfy us um, causes us a lot of suffering. So uh, instead of have a easygoing um, mentality of uh, uh, things come and they go, um, it doesn't matter much to me. Uh, and that 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 uh, lets you be a lot more lighthearted about things and um, not take this life so seriously, um, because this life is so impermanent. We're not here for very long, <laughs> so <laughs> what's the point in holding on to it? It'll be bef- gone before you know it, and that whole the whole holding on thing just made it not fun while it was here. So. Uh, um, uh, the whole point of the Dhamma is to lighten up and uh, not attach to anything, not think things are different than the way that they are, not think anything is permanent, um, and have have the wisdom and the clarity of mind uh, to be uh, wise to um, um, the, the um, habits of the mind and the habits of the mind that are based in ignorance. So not based in reality it's not actually based on how things are it's based on your conception or your belief of the way that things are so um that's the end of my spiel um (laughs) if anyone has anything they'd like to say or comment about um it doesn't have to be a question or if you have a question that's cool too um we've been going on for a good amount now anyone have anything Okay, I'll take that as a no. Well, it was good to see all of you guys. Um, thank you for coming to um, this Dhamma talk. Um, it's really good to see all your guys' faces. So uh, I encourage you to remember and practice the Dhamma. Try to apply it in your everyday life. Apply it in your relationships. Next time you get mad at somebody, next time something ticks you off, um, this is all for the sake of... Uh, um uh getting into a more enjoyable more wholesome wholesome state um no matter the circumstance so uh
the Dhamma is to be practiced um, everywhere and you only get only good will come of it. It's completely wholesome. Um, okay, cheers guys. Uh, in the crow